We're going to be learning Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi, the first piece in Hilchos Yisurei Bia. This is Perak Aleph Halacha Chaf Beis. Reb Chaim is analyzing a machlokas between the Rambam and the Raivid, which he touched upon already in the first piece in Hilchos Yibum. And the first half of this piece reviews ideas which he already developed in that piece in Hilchos Yibum and also in Hilchos Sota, and he reviews them here while adding some points. And then in the second half of the piece, he moves in a whole different direction. The Rambam says, If a man did kinui on his wife and stira, so this is the regular setup of a sota, and then there was an eid echad, one witness said that she became tmeya, that she committed adultery. So in that case, Hayabala Kohen, if her husband was a Kohen, Uba and afterwards they had relations, Hareza Loka Aleha Mishum Zona, he gets punished, he gets whipped for violating the prohibition of a zona. A Kohen is not permitted to be with a promiscuous woman. So in this case, since his wife was prohibited to him by having relations with her, he violates the prohibition of Zona and he gets punished accordingly. Says the Rambam Afalpishi Ikar Haedus Beid Echod, even though there's only one witness here and Generally, we always require two witnesses. So the Rambam explains here, Through this one witness, she achieves the status of being a zona. So once that's her status, her husband can be punished and whipped for being with her because of the prohibition of a zona. Now, the Ravid disagrees. He agrees with the Rambam that this Kohen husband is going to get punished and whipped, but he disagrees why. He says, He does not get punished for zona. He gets whipped because his wife is prohibited to him. The Isur Sota, any time that the woman is a suspected Sota, her husband cannot be with her, and if there's one witness, then they, he can never be with her. So that's why the Kohen husband gets whipped in this case. And the Ravid proves it. He says that if she had been forced, if this was not a case where she did adultery willingly, but she was forced to do it and there was one witness that she was forced, then we would not call her a Zona. We would call her a Tuma. She would be Asura to her husband. And this is a reference to the Gemara Nyevamos, which Rav Chaim will analyze later. So from that case, if she was forced, we see that she's not considered a Zona when she's with another man, but rather she's considered Asura to her husband, and that's why he should get whipped. So we have a machlokas, the Ramam and the Ravid, in this case of a Soto, where there's one witness saying she committed adultery, and then her husband, who's a Kohen, is with her. Does he get punished because she's a Zona? That's the Rambam's view, and the Ravid holds it's because she's prohibited to her husband. Now, Reb Chaim asks that the Rambam seems to contradict himself, because in Hilchsi Surebiya, later on, in Perak Yod Ches, the Rambam says that any woman whose husband did Kinue and Stira, and she didn't drink the Sota waters, so she's now a regular Sota who is prohibited to her husband. She's also Asur Kohen. She cannot marry a Kohen because she's a potential Zona. Says the Rambam, whether she just chose not to drink, she didn't want to drink for whatever reason, or if there are two witnesses who say she committed adultery, so she's not allowed to drink, Either way, says the Rambam, regardless of the reason why, since she did not drink in this case, she is prohibited to marry a Kohen because she is a Suffolk Zona. So here the Rambam seems to say that she's not a certain Zona, in this case of a Sota, who's prohibited to her husband. She's just a Suffolk Zona. And in that case, the husband, the Kohen, should not be punished for being with his wife because of Zona. That has to be a Vadai Zona. So in Perak Yudches, the Rambam seems 
to accept the Ravid's view that this is not a full-fledged zona that we could punish him. It's just a suffix zona. And so Rab Chaim wants to understand how do we square these two Rambams in Perak Aleph where he says that a sota is a vaday zona and in Perak Yerches where he says it's a suffix zona. So in order to explain the Shittas HaRambam, Rab Chaim says that uh, in fact the Rambam also agrees fundamentally with the Ravid that one witness is not able to transform a Sota into a Zona. And the reason for this is very simple, because in general the rule is Ein anything which has to do with Arayos, with sins of immorality, there have to be a minimum of two witnesses, we never believe one witness. So why does one witness have any believability in cases of Sota? So so the distinction is because in a case of Sota, there's Kinui and Stira. There's a context to what happened here. So in that case, the Torah said that one witness is believed. But anything which does not have Kinui and Stira, the one witness has no believability because it's the regular rule of Ein Davr Shebe'erva Pachos Mishnayim. So if so, says Rab Chaim, when it, we talk about the Isser Zona, that has nothing to do with Kinui and Stira. Kinui and Stira do not turn a woman into a zona, and therefore one witness should have no believability. Only on the Tumah, on the fact that she's prohibited to her husband, that is a direct result of the Kinoi and Stira, and that's why one witness is believed with regard to that Iser. So the Rambam too agrees fundamentally with the Ravid based on this analysis that one witness can only create Tumah, but he cannot create an Isur zona. So if so, why does the Rambam hold in this case that we punish the Kohen husband because of the Easter Zona? Says Rab Chaim, it's for that act of relations itself. Because the Rambam says in Perak Yudches that any prohibited relationship where they would have been prohibited to get married, if they have relations, it transforms her into a zona. So in this case too, because the Eid Echad made her prohibited to her husband, and then she and her husband had relations. She became a zona through that act of relations. And so that's what the Rambam means, that she's a zona. For that act of prohibited relations with her husband, she both became a zona and he now gets punished for the prohibition of being with a zona. But that's what the Rambam means when he says she's a zona, not that the one witness transformed her into a zona. He doesn't have that power because it's unrelated to the Kinoi and Stira. The only thing the one witness did is he made this a prohibited union, and then when she was together with her husband, through that action she became a zona, and the husband gets punished for that. Now, Reb Chaim continues with this approach, and he says that this will also explain the other side of the coin, and that is why the Rambam holds that he doesn't get punished for the Isser Tumah. It's only for the Zona, but not for Isser Tumah. So Reb Chaim says that the Rambam has an even more subtle distinction when it comes to the Isser Tumah, and that is that the Eid Echad is only believed on the aspect of the Nitma'ah, which is directly related to the Kinoi and Stira, which is that she is prohibited to her husband. Since that prohibition follows directly from the Kinoi and Stira, which also creates a prohibition to her husband, so one witness is believed. But when it comes to the Isser Tumah, which assumes that she certainly committed adultery. It goes beyond the Kinoi and Stira, which is just a suffix. It says that she's a Vadai adulteress. There, the Eid Echad is not believed. And it's similar to the way the Eid Echad is not believed that she's a Zona. He can't create an Isser Zona because it doesn't follow directly from the Kinoi and Stira. So in the same way, says Rab Chaim, the Rambam says he can't create an Isser Tumah. So the Rambam takes this idea that the Eid Echad is only able to bolster 
the Kinoy and Stira very seriously. And based on that, he makes this even more nuanced distinction between the Venitma, which creates the prohibition to the husband, and the Isr Tuma, which would cause him to be punished. And the Eid Echad is only believed with regard to the prohibition, not with regard to the punishment. And Rab Chaim has proof for this. He says that the Rambam in Helchus Yibum Mechalitza and Perek Vav Halacha Yotes differentiates when it comes to Yibum, a woman whose husband dies and there were no kids. So if she is a actual Sota, she certainly committed adultery, then neither she nor any of the co-wives have to do Yibum or Chalitza. There is no obligation in this case, not to any of the brothers. But if she's only a suffix Sota, we're not sure, then the Rambam rules that the other wives, her co-wives, are allowed to do Yibum to one of the other brothers. So this distinction, says Rab Chaim, is based on the fact that Kinui and Stira only affects her prohibition to her husband, but it does not create that she's considered a woman who committed adultery with regard to Yibum, that it removes any ability for any of the co-wives to do Yibum or Chalitza to either of the brothers. So that's why when it's just a suffix Sota, it doesn't affect the Yibum in the same way that a Vadai adulteress, if she certainly did adultery, it would throw off the whole process of Yibum. So Rab Chaim sees from here that this whole halacha of the Nitma, that we treat this woman, a suffix Sota, as if she certainly committed adultery, that's only when it comes to things which come directly from Kinui and Stira, not other halachas like when it comes to Yibum or when it comes to giving a punishment. Uh, Rab Chaim does develop this idea at much greater length in Hilchus Yibum Mechalitza on that halacha in the Rambam. It's a little different as formulation there, but it leads to the same conclusion. So according to Rab Chaim's analysis, the Rambam holds that one witness is only able to bolster the Kinoy and Stira and to make her vadai prohibited to her husband, but he is not believed in anything which has to do with punishment, once it goes beyond the Kinu and Stira, he loses his believability, and therefore he cannot label her either a Vadai Zona, he can't create that Isser, and he also can't create a Vadai Tuma, the punishment which would come from her having certainly committed adultery. So the only reason we punish this husband who's a Kohen, if he's with her, must be, says Rab Chaim, we're punishing him for that new relations that they had. At that moment, he made her a Zona because she was certainly prohibited to him, that power the one witness does have. Once he made these two prohibited to each other, so now this prohibition is no different than any other prohibition, and if they're together, like the Rambam in Perak Yudches says, any prohibited relationship, if they have relations, it makes her into a zona. So this husband made her into a zona by having relations with her, and he gets punished for that act. And that's why it's different from the Isser Tuma, because Tuma relies unbelievability. He can't make her Tamea because he's her husband. It has to be adultery. So that relies on believing the Eid Echad, and we don't believe the Eid Echad, to create an Isur, which we would then go ahead and punish. So that explains why the Rambam says that in this case, the Kohen husband only gets punished for Zona and not for Tumah. So at the end of the day, says Rab Chaim, if you have Kinoy and Stira, and then one witness comes and says she committed adultery, so the Ravid holds that we do believe him with regard to the Isur, the prohibition of Tumah. We fully believe him, and we could even punish this husband husband because we assume that she's a vadai 
a, an adulteress, and the same way that he's prohibited to her, he also would get punished if he's with her. But when it comes to Zono, we don't believe him because that's already too removed from the Kinoi and Stira for the one witness to have power to testify about. So that's why the Ravid says he only gets punished for the Isser Tuma. But the Rambam holds that technically we don't believe the one witness for anything. The Rambam takes it even a step further, this whole idea that the one witness can only bolster the Kinoi and Stira. So we don't believe him to punish the husband at all. But because the husband was together with his wife who was prohibited to him based on the testimony of this one witness. So therefore, through that act, he now created, he made her a zona, and he can get punished for being with her. So that's the explanation Rab Chaim has for the Rambam. Now, this is a somewhat controversial explanation. In the back of the Or Olam edition of Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi, they quote that Rav Shach in the Avi Ezri and Rav Shmuel Rizovsky and Rav Shlomo Zalman Arbach and the others all had some questions on this. There's two major questions that they ask on Rav Chaim. The first issue that they raise is that if Rav Chaim saying that it's not that we believe the Eid Echad, that this woman became a Zona, according to the Rambam, but rather the husband makes her a Zona, through this act of Bia, then why do you even need an Eid Echad at all? Even without an Eid Echad, she's already prohibited to the husband because there was Kinoi and Stira. So they are prohibited to each other. And once they have Bia, that should also make her a Zona. So why does the Rambam only say that in the case where there was one witness that she committed adultery, then the husband gets punished for Zona and not even in a case where there was not one witness? So this sounds like a very strong question on Rab Chaim, but the truth is that Rab Chaim seems to be saying in his piece that the only time it's a strong enough prohibition that if the husband and wife are together, she becomes a zona is when one witness made this a vadai prohibition. So there is no way to get out of it anymore. But so long as it's just a case of kinoy and stira, maybe the argument would be that since she could get out of it by drinking the water, it's not as strong a prohibition. Or since we don't have one witness, it's lacking a certain power and she would not be a zona together with her husband. Of course, Rab Chaim quotes the Rambam that any time they're prohibited to be married, then it creates a zona. So that would seem to include even a case without one witness. So that's the first issue that these Achronim raised. The second issue they raised is that Rab Chaim's whole notion that the first time two people who are prohibited to each other are together, she becomes a zona, seems to contradict the Gemara and Kiddushin on Ein Zayin, where the Gemara says that a Kohen who is together with his sister, so the first time he's with her, she becomes a zona, and then the second time if he's together with her again, then he gets punished for having been with a zona. So very clearly the Gemara says that the first time she becomes a zona, but he doesn't get punished for being with a zona, only after that if they're together again. So this would seem to go against Rab Chaim's idea that the first time a Kohen is with a woman who's prohibited to him, he gets punished for zona for that time already. So that's the second issue that these Achronim raise. Now there's an interesting story about this. It's somewhat well known. Rav Shach even though he wrote this question in the Avi Ezri, but he used to tell a story that he went to Rab Chaim's son, the Briskarov, Rab Velvel Salavechik, and he asked him this question on his father's piece here, that it seems to contradict the Gemara and Kiddushin. And Rab Velvel told him, it's a good question, I don't know the answer, but I will tell you this, I remember that when my father was writing this piece in his book, he had that very page in the Gemara and Kiddushin open in front of him. 
So the point of this story is that even though we think we have a great question on Rab Chaim, but uh, Rab Chaim is aware of uh, most, if not all, of the uh, issues that we're going to raise, and uh, he probably had good answers. So if we don't know the answer, we need to keep looking for it. Anyways, that's Rab Chaim's idea to explain the Rambam, why he distinguishes between Tuma and Zona, because the Rambam fundamentally holds we don't believe in Eid Echad, in anything which is not directly related to prohibiting the husband to his wife. And the only reason that he gets punished for Zona is because once they're together, she becomes a Zona. And we noted uh, two issues with that and uh, this famous story about this piece. Uh, now, it's worth just mentioning at this point that Rab Chaim Ozer Grodzensky, the Rav of Vilna, in the Chuvas Achiezer, in Evan Ezer Simon Vav, has a different solution to this, and in some ways it's the polar opposite of Rab Chaim. And that is, he suggests that there's a difference between Zona and Tuma because Tuma is a Dabr Erva. It's a Rayos. And therefore, it always needs two witnesses because Ein Dabr Erva Pachos Mishnayim. That's how Rab Chaim also began his analysis. But whereas this leads Rab Chaim to say that we need Kinoy and Stira in order to give one witness any believability, Rab Chaim Ozer goes in a different direction. And he says that when it comes to the Easter Zona, that prohibition, which is special to Kohen, that we don't consider a Davr Erva. That's a regular Easter that she is prohibited to Kohen, and therefore one witness would be believed. So that would be a nice distinction in the Rambam, why he holds that we punish him for Zona, but not for Tuma, because Tuma we apply the rule of Ein Davr Erva Pachos Mishnayim, but for Zona we would believe one witness. Now, coming back to Rab Chaim, so in the fourth paragraph, Rab Chaim comes back to the Shittas HaRaivid. The Raivid holds that it's not Zona, it's Tuma that we punish the husband for. And Rab Chaim wants to understand where the Raivid got his Shita from, and he wants to explain a very strange aspect of the Raivid's argument. The Raivid says, Kol ones echad, any time a woman is forced, there was onest, she was forced to be with someone else, and that's what the one witness testifies that he saw. So then she's not considered a Zona, she's only considered Toma. And the Ravid quotes the Gemara Nyevamos and Dafnun Vav that there's a debate within Rava, there's two different positions, whether if a woman is forced, we consider her a Zona or a Sota. Now, Reb Chaim notes that it's true there's a Gemara Nyevamos, which has two different approaches as to whether an Aishas Kohen, the wife of a Kohen, who is coerced into having relations with someone else, so now she's prohibited to her husband, unlike if her husband was a Yisrael. But uh, there's a question whether her husband gets punished for Sota or Zona. But that's all in a case where she's forced. What does that have to do with the case of the Rambam, where the one witness is testifying that she willingly committed adultery? And the Magid Mishnah also has this question. How is the Ravid proving from a case where she was forced, that the Gemara says that she's not a Zona, she's Tuma? to the case where she willingly committed adultery, according to the testimony of the one witness, that she should also be Tuma and not Zona. So Reb Chaim explains this very brilliantly, but he goes on a little tangent. And he says that there's a question the Rishonim have on that Gemara in Yevamos, the approach which says that she's only going to be punished for Tuma, not for Zona. So the implication is that a woman does not become a Zona when she's forced to have 
illicit relations. It was a prohibited relations, but if she's forced, then she's not a zona. So the question is that the mission in Ksubis and Daf Yudalid says that a young girl who went to fill water at the well and someone forced her at the well, she was Nensa. So the Mishnah rules that if the majority of people who would have done this act are the types that would have made her prohibited to a Kohen, now she's prohibited to a Kohen. So uh, the clear implication of that Mishnah is that even though she's forced, she does become a Zona. So this seems to contradict the whole approach of the Gemara and Yevamos. So the Balamor has an answer, and he says that there's a distinction between any of the other Arayos, any other prohibited relations, where even if she's forced, she still becomes a Zona. But a married woman is the one prohibition, even though she's prohibited to any man who's not her husband. But if she's forced, she will not become a Zona, because there's a special exception that a married woman who is forced, if her husband is a non-Kohen, she's still permitted to him. So once we see that a married woman who was forced to have illicit relations is still permitted to her husband, that, that would also mean that she doesn't become a zona. So the Balamor's distinction is between a case where the prohibited relations was a married woman with another man versus a regular case where they were prohibited to each other. And in the latter, there is no difference between whether she was forced or not. In all cases, she becomes a zona. Now, Reb Chaim wonders about this Balamor. Why should there be a connection between the Tumah and the Zona? In other words, when it comes to a married woman who's forced, so she's permitted to her husband because in the laws of Tumah, we don't consider her an adulteress and therefore she's permitted to her husband. But what does that have to do with the separate Easter of Zona, which is a prohibition to Kohen? Why should one follow from the other that if she's not usher to her husband because of Tumah, she's also not a Zona? What's the connection between those two Isurim? So Reb Chaim explains that a regular married woman who commits adultery, the reason she becomes a Zona and is now prohibited to a Kohen is actually because of two components. First of all, there's the fact that she had an illicit relations. She had a prohibited relations. And anyone who has prohibited relations, the woman is now a Zona and prohibited to the Kohen. So a married woman is no different. If she's prohibited to a man and she's with him, she's now a Zona. But there's an additional component which also comes from the fact that she is a married woman. And there's a special halacha that a married woman who commits adultery is prohibited to the Kohen. And this we learn now from the fact that it says in the Torah, the nitma three times. So one of them is to say that she's prohibited to her husband. One is that she's prohibited to the man she committed adultery with. And the one is that she cannot go back to eating truma. So we see that there is a special halacha that a married woman, once she's with the adulteress, she now is prohibited to a Kohen. She's a zona of a married woman type. So there's these two components when it comes to a married woman, the regular zona and the aishas ish zona. So according to this, Rabbi Chaim says, we could explain the Balamor. When the Balamor says that if there's no Tumah because she's forced and the Torah said that she's permitted to her husband, so she's also not a Zona, he's only referring to the second component of becoming a Zona from the special Ashes Ish rule. But the regular Zona, which occurs because she had a prohibited union, so that would apply even if she's forced. So if we evaluate a 
married woman who was forced to have an illicit relation. So if we're talking about the regular aspect of becoming a Zona, in that regard, it makes no difference whether she was forced or not. Because just like every other case, whether she's forced or not, she becomes a Zona. So in this case too, whether she's forced or not, she becomes a Zona. And the whole halacha that a married woman who's forced is permitted to her husband is irrelevant. But if we are viewing it from the added component that there's a special halacha that a married woman becomes a zona, so then in that case, if she's forced, then that halacha won't take effect because the whole din of tumah doesn't apply. She's still permitted to her husband. And if that halacha doesn't apply, the special tumah of an ish, then also the special zona of an Aishas Ish is not going to take effect. So this would make sense of the Balamor making the Zona dependent on the Tuma because uh, he's talking about these special halachas that apply to Aishas Ish. So if there's no Tuma, there's no Zona. Now, based on this analysis, Rav Chaim says that the Gemara Nyevamos and Dafnun Vav records that Rav Amram said that in Aishas Yisrael, if her husband is a Jew, he's not a Kohen. So if she's forced, she's still permitted to her husband. But Rav Amram says that she's still considered a Zona, even even though she's permitted to this husband and she cannot marry a Kohen after that. But Rabbah says that a woman who's forced does not become a Zona. So this woman who was forced would not get the status of a Zona. So says Rav Chaim, it could be that they're not arguing with each other. It could be that Rav Amram is talking about the aspect that has to do with all Isurim, a regular Arayo, since she had any relations with someone who was prohibited to her, the very act of relations, whether it's forced or not, she already becomes a Zona. And that's why Rav Amram says that even if her husband is Yisrael, so she's allowed to him, but the fact that there was a prohibited Bia here is going to transform her into a Zona regardless of whether it was forced or not. Rabbah, though, is saying that from the second component, which is special to Aishas Ish, so that she's not going to be a Zona from that perspective, because since she was forced, so the halacha is that she's allowed to her husband. So since there's no Tuma of Aishas Ish, there's also no Znus of Aishas Ish. So Rav Amram and Rabbah are reflecting these two different components, and they're saying that an Aishas Yisrael who's forced would have the Znus of regular prohibited unions, but not the special zenus that comes from a married woman being with another man. So this is a very nice idea Rab Chaim's developing, but says Rab Chaim there's a major problem, and that is that it, there's never enough gemina. Practically, there's no difference. Because any time a married woman has a prohibited union, she's going to be considered a zona, whether she was forced or not. What does it matter if from the perspective of the Aishas Ish, She's not considered a zona in addition to the regular zona of any prohibited arayos because every case of Aishas Ish also includes the regular case of arayos. So there is no case, says Rab Chaim, practically where a married woman was forced into an illicit relationship and she's still not going to be considered a zona. And now comes Rabbi Chaim full circle very, very brilliantly, and he says that this is exactly what motivated the comment of the Ravid here. Because the Ravid was bothered by this issue, and so he interpreted the Gemara when the Gemara has two approaches within Rabbah about whether or not the Aishas Kohen, who is Nensa, 
is her husband gets punished because of Zona or Tuma, says the Ravid, the case of the Gemara is talking about where there was Kinui and Stira, and then there is one witness who is testifying that he saw her forced into this adulterous situation. So it's a very unique case. And in that case, says the Ravid, is the one time where the Balamor's distinction is going to become relevant. Because since this is a case of Kinoy and Stira, so that sets the stage for the one witness to be believed to say that she was with another man. So we do believe him on that aspect of it. And now we would consider her a Zona and we consider her Tuma and she is prohibited to her husband. But all of that only follows from the Aishas Ish aspect of it. With regard to the fact that she's a married woman with Kinoy and Stira and one witness testifies that she was with another man, so the Torah said we believe him in that case. But when it comes to the other component of it, that there was a general prohibition of Arayos, that a married woman is prohibited to be with another man, so there the Kinoy and Stira doesn't play a role, and by extension, the one witness doesn't play a role. So this is going to be the very unusual case where the only reason she becomes a Zona is because of the Aishas Ish component, that she's a, a Zona of an Aishas Ish who was with another man, but the regular rule of Arayos doesn't apply because we don't believe the one witness on regular cases of Arayos. So now it's very relevant to Balamor's distinction that when the only source of Zona is because she was an Aishas Ish, if she was forced, which is what the one witness is testifying, then she's not going to become a Zona. You know, usually the Ravid and the Balamor are always disagreeing, but the According to this approach, the Ravid's cryptic comment is because he exactly learns the whole Agmar like the Balamor, so uh, he was trying to make sense of it and explain the practical difference. So that's why the Ravid says that the case of the Gemara is in this unusual case, Kino and Stira and one witness that's saying she was forced. So she's able to get out of the regular Zenos because one witness is not believed. And when it comes to the Aishas Ish component of Zenos, so because it's forced, so that is not going to create the Aishas Ish Zenos because forced is an exception in the rules of Aishas Ish. So that's exactly why Rabbah says over there that anytime she's forced, she's not a Zona because in this case, Forcing is not a zona, even though in the vast majority of cases, almost every regular case where an Aishas Ish is with another man, forced or willingly, she is a zona, but in this case, forced is going to be an exception and she's not a zona. So that's the explanation of that Gemara and the practical distinction that uh, the Balamor's difference between an Aishas Ish and other cases makes. So this now explains perfectly what the Ravid is saying, that any onus with an aid echad, any time it's forced, and the way we know that is because one witness testifies about it, we don't consider it a zona, because in that case, the only zona would come from the Aishas Ish aspect of it, where aid echad is believed, and their forced coercion is an exception. But the, if she would have been together with another man from with two witnesses, so then uh, she would automatically be a zona, regardless of whether it was forced or not, because the two witnesses are believed in all cases. So that's considered regular arayos. We believe them that she was together with a man who's prohibited to her, and any 
act of Bia, which is prohibited, creates a zona. So that's the distinction between two witnesses and one witness in this halacha. So according to this whole analysis, now Rab Chaim comes back and this, and he explains this is exactly what the Ravid is disagreeing and questioning the Rambam, because according to the Ravid's reading of that Gemar and Yevamos, it's very clear that in a case of Kinoy and Stira, one witness is now believed to create a full Isur of Tuma and Zona. We fully believe him and the husband should be punished for both of those prohibitions because the Gemara over there says that we could have punished the husband for either Tuma or for Zona and the only reason why we might not punish for Zona is because of the onus the coercion factor makes it that she's not a Zona but if the one witness would testify that she did this willingly so the clear implication is that we should punish the husband for both Tuma and Zona so that's uh, the Ravid's Shita that we do believe the one witness for both Tuma and Zona. The only exception for Zona is if she's coerced, then she doesn't become a Zona. And when it comes to Tuma, there's no distinction either way. If her husband is a Kohen, whether she's coerced or not, she is prohibited to him. So that's the Ravid's position. Now, coming back to the Shittus HaRambam, so Rab Chaim explains that he would hold, like the other Rishonim, read that Gemara in Yevamos, that it's talking about with two witnesses, not this odd case of the Ravid, and that's why we believe the two witnesses, that she's Tmeya and she's Azona, and we could punish them. But according to the Rambam, if you have one witness, even if there's Kinoy and Stira, he's never believed to say that she's now prohibited and gets punished for the violations of Tuma or Zona, he's never believed in those situations, he only can prohibit her to her husband, but when it comes to punishments, the one witness is not believed. So, at the end of the day, according to Rabbi Chaim's approach, the machlokas between the Rambam and the Raivid is that the Rambam holds that there is no source in the Gemara, that one witness is believed to punish the husband, that punishment always has to come from two witnesses. The only thing the Gemara does say is that when you have one witness, she's certainly prohibited to her husband. And accordingly, says the Rambam, if they are then together, then that creates the Zona and he gets punished for Zona. The Ravid is literally on the other end of the spectrum in this regard because he has this Gemarnia Vamos and he wants to understand, according to the Balamor, what difference does it make if she's a regular Zona or a Zona from the special halacha of Aishas Ish. Either way, every Aishas Ish is a regular Zona. Says the Ravid, that Gemara is talking about this very unusual case where there was Kinu and Stira and one witness that she was Nensa. And in that case, the Gemara is telling us that ordinarily we would believe the one witness, both on the Znus and the Tuma. So according to the Ravid, we now have a source in the Gemara that one witness is believed not just to prohibit her to her husband, but also to punish the husband for Tuma and for Znus. And the only thing that Takamara is saying is that in that case, if the witness says she was forced, then she doesn't become a Zona of Aishas Ish because it follows the rules of the Tuma of Aishas Ish and that she would be allowed to her husband who was a Yisrael. So this is Reb Chaim's analysis of this Machlokas, the Rambam and the Raivin. Now again, in the back of the Or Olam edition, they quote from Rav Shach, both in the Aviezri, and they have a note in his margin. Uh, but he asks some fundamental questions on Rab Chaim, uh, his whole approach to reading the Raivid. And the first uh, obvious question that he asks is that even though this is all well and good, it's a very brilliant read of the Raivid, but it still seems to lose track of the equation because the basic question is still there. The Rambam's case is where she willingly committed adultery. 
And on that, the Ravid says that the husband gets punished because of Tuma, not Zona. Uh, whereas according to Rab Chaim's analysis, in a case of willing, the Ravid should hold that he gets punished for both Zona and Tuma. The Ravid is only saying that it's not Zona in a case of Ona. So Rab Chaim started off with the whole issue of why the Ravid is bringing from a Gemara about Ones to a case of Rotzon, where she was willing. And did the Magid Mishnah also ask that question? But at the end, Rab Chaim's answer doesn't seem to make sense of why the Ravid is talking about a case of Ones here. The Rambam is certainly in a case of a willing. Rab Shach also, Naviyazri, this is a very important question. Uh, he also says that Rab Chaim's whole idea that one witness is able to testify that she was coerced into being with another man and he has believability is uh, very odd because the one witness is really given believability to say that after the Kinui and Stira, she went willingly with this man. But it's not a blank check that the one witness can say whatever he wants. So if the witness says that after the Kinui and Stira, she was forced to be with this man. What does that have to do with the Kinui and Stira? Why should we believe a witness on a case of onus? So this is a very important question and it flows out of Rab Chaim's analysis himself because Rab Chaim said that one witness is only believed to bolster the Kinui and Stira. But uh, then he suggests this idea where one witness could say that she was Nensa from that man and that seems unrelated to the Kinui and Stira. It's not just that if there's a Kinui and Stira, anything the witness says about this man and woman is believed. So that's a very important question about whether in this unusual case where there was Kinoi and Stira, and then one witness says that she was forced to be with this man, she was Nensa, uh, Rab Chaim seems to say that he would still be believed in that case, and Rav Shach questions that, why should he have any believability? And uh, finally, to summarize the key conceptual points in this piece, uh, there's the issue of Kinoi and Stira, the role that it plays in setting the stage for the one witness to be believed. And Rab Chaim here reiterates an idea that he developed in Hilchah Sota in the piece right before this, that the Kinoi and Stira almost hang in this situation and create the prohibition, which the one witness then bolsters through his testimony. Uh, there's also the whole issue, which was also discussed in Hilchah Sota, and these issues are also touched on in the last piece, the second piece in Helchus Yibum, uh, but that's the issue of how believed is the one witness? What is he believed in order to say? Is it just to prohibit them or is it also to change the status of this woman? And Rab Chaim also touches on the interplay of those things, the believability of the one witness, which stems from the Kinoi and Stira, whatever the Kinoi and Stira affected, the one witness is able to reinforce. And there are the two aspects of this piece that Rav Shach takes issue with. The first is Rav Chaim's assumption that if a Kohen is with someone who's prohibited to him, she becomes a Zona and he gets punished for that at that moment. And that seems to contradict the Gemara and Kiddushin, uh, which Rab Chaim was looking at as he wrote this piece. And the second one is Rab Chaim's assumption that once there's Kinui and Stira, one witness is even able to say that she was Nensa. And Rav Shach questions that.